Chapter Fifteen of Consequences by E. M. Delafield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Diamond Jubilee. All that summer, everyone spoke of Jubilee weather, and London grew hotter and sunnier and more crowded day by day. Alex found herself wishing, fretfully and almost angrily, that she could enjoy it all. But the sensation of loneliness that had always oppressed her, although she did not analyse it, was always most poignant amongst a great number of people, and her listlessness and self-absorption in society at last caused Lady Isabel to ask her gently, but with unmistakable vexation, whether she had rather leave most of the gaieties to little Barbara, to whom it's all new and amusing. Why? asked Alex, startled. My darling, I can see you're not very happy, and I quite understand that, of course. One doesn't get over these things in a minute, said Lady Isabel with a sigh for the memory of Noel Cardew. This will be your third season, and I had hoped it would be the best of them all, what with the jubilee celebrations and everything. But if you're rather out of heart with the gaieties just now, I don't want to force you into them, poor child." Lady Isabel gazed with wistful, puzzled eyes that held nothing but uncomprehending perplexity at her disappointing eldest daughter. Alex knew that she was wondering silently why that daughter, expensively educated and still more expensively dressed, admittedly pretty and well-bred, should still lack any semblance of attractiveness, should still fail to achieve any semblance of popularity. Alex herself wondered drearily if she was always destined to find herself out of all harmony with her surroundings. She never questioned but that the fault lay entirely in herself, and a sort of fatalism made her accept it all with apathetic matter-of-factness. She gave inert acquiescence to Lady Isabel's tentative suggestion that most of the invitations pouring in daily should be accepted on Barbara's behalf only partly because she hated being taken out with her sister, who was always critical and observant, and partly from sheer desire that Lady Isabel should no longer have the mortification of watching a social progress, the indifference of which Alex regarded with morbid exaggeration. Barbara, rather to Alex's surprise, although enjoying herself with a sort of quiet determination, proved to be exceedingly shy, but in two months she had achieved several gushing, intimate friendships with girls rather older than herself, which led to her receiving innumerable invitations to tea-parties, a form of entertainment always abhorred by Alex, but from which Barbara generally returned with one or two new acquaintances, who were sure to claim dances from her on meeting her at subsequent balls. She was not very pretty, and evening dresses, displaying her thin arms and shoulders, took away from the effect of smartness that she had acquired in France, but she danced exceptionally well and was seldom left partnerless. Alex often wondered what Barbara, who was notoriously silent and awkward with strangers, could find to talk about to her partners. It did not occur to her that Barbara made an art of listening to them. The climax of the season's festivities was reached on the blazing day towards the end of June, when the jubilee procession wound its way through the flagged and decorated streets, with the small, stout, black-clad figure in the midst of it all, bowing indefatigably to the crowds that thronged streets and windows and balconies, and even when practical, roofs. A window of Sir Francis's club in Piccadilly was placed by him, with some ceremony, at the disposal of his wife, his eldest son up from Eton, and one daughter. But it was evident that he would regard any further display of family as rather excessive, and Alex herself suggested that she should see it all from a window in Grosvenor Place, which had been procured for Pamela and Archie, under the care of old nurse, 
and various minor members of the household. "'But that would be so dull!' protested Lady Isabel, shocked. "'Alex can do as she pleases, my dear,' said Sir Francis stiffly. He was not pleased with his eldest daughter, and imagined that her evident shrinking from society arose not from her acute perception of this fact, but from shame at the recollection of her behaviour towards Noel Cardew, which Sir Francis, in his own mind, stigmatised as both dishonourable and unladylike. The further reflection he gave to the matter, and reflection with Sir Francis was never anything but deliberate, the more seriously he resented his daughter's lapse from the code of good form, and the harassed look which she was gradually causing to mar his wife's placid beauty. He would have liked Alex to be prettily eager for pleasure, as were the young ladies of his day and ideal, and he regarded her obvious discontent and unhappiness as a slur on Lady Isabel's exertions on her behalf. Very slowly, with the dull implacability of a man slow to assimilate a grievance, and slower still to forgive what he does not understand, Sir Francis was becoming angry with Alex. "'Let her do as she likes, Isabel,' he repeated. "'If the society we can provide is less amusing than that of children and servants, by all means let her join them.' Lady Isabel did not repeat his words to Alex. She only said, "'Your father says do as you like, darling. We shan't have overmuch room, of course, especially as we have asked so many people for lunch afterwards.' "'But if you really cared about coming with us, I could manage it in a minute.' She paused as though for Alex's eager acclamation, but Barbara broke in quickly. "'There won't be much room with all those people coming, will there? And father always says that one grown-up daughter at a time is enough. So if Alex really doesn't want to come, it seems a pity.' So Alex, with an unreasonable sense of injury, that yet was in some distorted way a relief to her, as showing her not to be alone in fault, watched the procession from Grosvenor Place, with Archie flushed and shouting with excitement, and Pamela in curly-cropped hair and Liberty Silk picture frock, such as was just coming into fashion, breaking into shrill cheers of rather spasmodic loyalty, as she fidgeted up and down the length of the bunting-hung balcony. Alex, on the whole, was sorry when it was all over, and the two children ordered into the carriage by nurse for the return to Clevedon Square. She declared that she was going to walk home across the park, partly because the crowds interested her, partly to assert her independence of old nurse. "'Then you'll take James with you in a crowd like this?' the old autocrat declared. "'Nonsense, I don't want James. You'll come with me, won't you, Holland?' "'Yes, miss,' said the maid submissively. Since Barbara's coming out, the sisters had shared a maid of their own, and Holland very much preferred Alex, who cared nothing what happened to her clothes, and read a book all the time that her hair was being dressed, to the exacting and sometimes rather querulous Barbara. They found the park comparatively free from people. Everyone had gone to find some place of refreshment, or had made a rush to secure places for the return route of the procession from St. Paul's Cathedral. Flags streamed and waved in the sunshine, and swinging rows of little electric globes hung everywhere in readiness for the evening's display of illuminations. Alex suddenly felt very tired and hot, and longed to escape from the glare and the noise. She wondered whether, if Noel had been with her, she could have taken part in the general sense of holiday and rejoicing, sharing it with him, and whilst her aching loneliness cried yes, some deeper-rooted instinct warned her that a companionship rooted only in proximity brings with it a deeper sense of isolation than any solitude. Her steps began to flag, and she wished that the way through the park did not seem so interminable. "'Couldn't we find a cab, Holland? I'm tired.' "'It won't be easy, miss, today,' said the maid, 
a disquieted eye roving over the park railings to the dusty streets where pedestrians, indeed, thronged endlessly, but few vehicles of any sort were to be discerned. Alex would have liked to sit down, but none of the benches were unoccupied, and in any case she knew that Lady Isabel would be shocked at her doing such a thing, under no better chaperonage than that of a maid. Quite conscious of her own unreason, she yet said fretfully, "'I really can't get all the way home unless I can sit down and rest somewhere.' She had only said it to relieve her own sense of fatigue and irritability, and was surprised when Holland replied in a tone of reasonable suggestion, "'There's the convent just close to Bryanston Square, miss. You can always go in there. It's always open.' "'What convent?' Holland named the order of the house at Liège, where Alex had been at school. She exclaimed at the coincidence, "'I thought their London house was in the East End.' "'Yes, miss,' Holland explained, suddenly becoming voluble. "'But the sisters opened a new house last year. "'I went to the consecration of the chapel. "'It was a beautiful ceremony, miss.' "'Of course you're a Catholic, aren't you? "'I forgot.' "'Yes, miss,' said Holland, stiffening. "'It was evident that the fact to which Alex referred so lightly "'was of supreme importance to her. "'Well, a church is better than nowhere in this heat,' "'said Miss Clare disconsolately.' Lady Isabel had decreed nearly two years ago that church-going, at all events during the season, was incompatible with late nights, and Alex had acquiesced without much difficulty. Religion did not interest her, and she had kept up no intercourse with the nuns at Liège since leaving school. Holland, looking at once shocked and rather excited, pointed out the tall, narrow building, wedged into a line of similar buildings, with a high flight of steps leading to the open door. "'It's always open like that,' Holland said." Anyone can go into the chapel. The open door, indeed, gave straight on to the oak door of the chapel across a narrow entrance lobby. Alex was instantly conscious of the sharply defined contrast between the hot glare and incessant roar of multifarious noises outside in the brilliant streets and the dark, cool hush that pervaded the silent convent chapel. The sudden sensation of physical relief almost brought tears to her eyes as she sank thankfully onto a little cushioned prie-dieu drawn up close to the high carved rude screen before the chancel steps. Holland had slid noiselessly to her knees behind one of the humble wooden benches close to the entrance. There was absolute silence. As her eyes grew accustomed to the soft gloom, Alex saw that the chapel was a very small one, of an odd oblong shape with high carved stalls on either side of it that recalled the big convent chapel at liege to her mind the wax candles shed a peculiarly mild glow over the high altar which was decked with a mass of white blossom and feathery green but the rest of the chapel was unlit except by the warm softened shaft of sunshine that struck through the painted oval windows behind the altar and lay in deep splashes of colour over the white embroidered altar cloth and the red carpeted altar steps the peace and harmony of her surroundings fell on Alex's wearied spirit with an almost poignant realisation of their beauty. The impression thus made upon her, striking with utter unexpectedness, struck deep, and to the end of her life the remembrance was to remain with her, of the sudden sense which had come upon her of entering into another world when she stepped straight from the streets of London into the convent chapel on Diamond Jubilee Day. It seemed to her that she had been sitting still there for some time, scarcely conscious of thought or feeling, when the remembrance gradually began to filter through her mind, as it were, of teachings, unheeded at the time, from her school days at Liège. What if the solution to all her troubles lay here, before the small gilt door of the tabernacle? 
Alex had never prayed in her life. The mechanical formula extorted from the Clare children by old nurse had held no meaning for them, least of all to Alex, who was not temperamentally religious, and instinctively disliked anything which was presented to her in the light of an obligation. Her lack of fundamental religious instruction had remained undiscovered, and consequently unrectified, throughout her school days, and she had unconsciously adopted since then the standard typified no less in Sir Francis's courteously blank attitude towards the faith of his fathers than in Lady Isabel's conventional adherence to the minimum of church-going permitted by the social code. What if comfort had been waiting for her all the time? Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy burdened, and I will refresh you. Alex did not know that she was crying, until she found herself wiping away the tears that were blinding her. The loneliness that encompassed her seemed to her to be suddenly lightened, and she formulated the first vague, stammering prayer of her life. Help me, make me good, and let there be someone soon who will understand, someone who will understand and still love me, who will want me to care too. If only there was someone for whose sake everything really mattered. I believe I could be good. Please help me. She felt certain that her prayer would be heard and granted. There was the slightest possible movement beside her, and turning sharply she saw the tall figure of a woman wearing the habit of the order standing over her. She had not known that this nun was in the chapel. The tall commanding presence bent and knelt down on the ground beside her, with a deep inclination of her head towards the high altar. Forgive me for disturbing you, but when you are quite ready to come away, Will you come and speak to me for a moment or two before you go? She paused for a second, but Alex was too much surprised to reply. Don't hurry. I shall wait for you outside. The nun rose slowly, laying her hand for an instant on Alex's shoulder, and moved soundlessly away. Alex looked at her watch and was surprised by the lateness of the hour. She drew down her veil and gathered up the long, fashionable skirt of her dress, preparatory to leaving the chapel. In the little lobby outside, she looked round curiously. On the instant, someone moved forward out of a shadowy corner. Come in here for a moment, won't you? I think it is Miss Clare? Yes. Alex, faintly uneasy, although she could not have explained why, looked round for her maid. Holland came forward at once. Good afternoon, Mary, said the nun, addressing her calmly. How are you? "'Very well, thank you, Mother Gertrude. "'I hadn't hoped to be here again so soon, "'but Miss Clare was tired, "'and we were just going past on the way back after the procession.' "'Ah, yes, to be sure,' said the nun, "'with the air of recalling an unimportant fact. "'The Jubilee procession takes place today. "'That must make the streets unpleasantly crowded. "'Won't you rest a little while in the parlour, Miss Clare? "'Perhaps your maid might find a cab to take you home.' "'Will you try, Holland?' said Alex eagerly. She felt unable to walk any more. This time Holland made no demur at the suggestion, and only glanced a respectful farewell at the nun, who said with a smile that seemed somehow full of authority, "'Good-bye, then, Mary, for the present. I will take care of your young lady whilst you are away. It may take a little while to find a cab on a day like this.' As the maid went out, Mother Gertrude motioned to Alex to precede her down the small, uneven steps leading out of the lobby, into a better-lighted passage beyond. There are two steps down, that's all. These old houses are dark and inconveniently built, but we are lucky to get anything so central. Come into the parlour. 
"'We shall not be disturbed, and your maid will know where to find us when she returns.' "'I had no idea that Holland came here and—and knew you,' said Alex, rather confused. In the stiff, ugly parlour furnished with cane-seated chairs and a round table, it was easy to see Mother Gertrude as she seated herself opposite to Alex in the window. She was an exceptionally tall, upright woman, a natural dignity of carriage emphasised by the sweeping black folds of veil and habit, her hands demurely hidden under the wide-falling sleeves as she sat with her arms lightly crossed. Her strong, handsome face, of a uniform light reddish colour, showed one or two hard lines, noticeably round the closed, determined mouth, and her strongly marked eyebrows almost met over straight-gazing, very light grey eyes. Even her religious habit could not conceal the lines and contour of a magnificent figure, belonging to a woman in the full maturity of life. "'Are you surprised to find that your maid comes to the convent?' she asked, smiling. Her voice was deep and of a commanding quality that seemed to match her personality, but her smile was her least attractive feature. It was only a slow widening of her mouth, showing a set of patently porcelain teeth, and deepening the creases on either side of her face. Her eyes remained watchful and unchanged. Mary Holland was one of our children when she was quite a little thing, at our poor school at Bermondsey. She has always been a good girl, and we take a great interest in her. Was that why you knew who I was? Alex inquired, remembering how the nun had addressed her by name. Yes, I knew that Mary Holland had taken a place with Lady Isabel Clare, and was much interested to hear from her of her young lady. Tell me, were you not at school at our mother-house in Belgium? Alex, unversed in the infinitely far-reaching ramifications of interconventual communication, was again surprised. Yes, I was there for about five years, but I don't remember... She hesitated. Oh, no, I was never there. I have been superior in London for more than ten years, but I have heard your name several times, though not since you left school. We like to keep in touch with our children, but you have probably been busy going about with your mother. I didn't even know there was a house of the order here, Alex admitted. It has not been established very long. Our chapel was only consecrated a few months ago. It is very tiny, but perhaps some day you will pay another visit here. Mother Gertrude was not looking at Alex as she spoke, but down at her own long rosary beads, and the fact somehow made it easier for Alex to reply without embarrassment, Yes, I should like to come if I may, and if I can. It felt so, so peaceful. Yes, returned the nun, without any show of surprise, or indeed any emotion at all, in her carefully colourless voice. Yes, it is very peaceful here, a great contrast to the hurry and unrest of the world, and for anyone who is tired, or troubled, or perhaps unhappy, and conscious of wrongdoing, there is always comfort to be found here. No one asks any questions, and if perhaps a poor soul is too much worn out with conflict for prayer, why even that is not necessary. Alex gazed at her, surprised. Do you think that God wants things put into words? said the nun with her slow smile. Alex did not know what to reply. She looked silently at the superior, and felt that those light, penetrating grey eyes had probed to the depths of her confusion and beyond it, to the scenes of loneliness and bewilderment that had made her weep in the chapel. Do a lot of people come here? she asked involuntarily, 
from the sense that a wide experience of humanity must have gone to the making of those keen perceptions. Yes, many of them I know and see here, and anything that passes in this little room is held in sacred confidence. But very often, of course, there are visitors to the chapel of whom we know nothing, just passers-by. That was what I was. The nun looked at her for a moment. And yet, she said slowly, something made me want to come and speak to you, even before I caught sight of your maid and guessed you must be Miss Clare. It is curious that you should have turned out to be one of our children. Alex thought so too, but the term with its sense of shelter touched her strangely. She was shaken both by physical fatigue and her recent violent crying, and moreover the forceful magnetic personality of the superior was already making its sure impression upon her young unbalanced susceptibilities. "'May I see you again next time I come?' she asked rather tremulously. Mother Gertrude stood up. "'Whenever you like,' she said emphatically, her direct gaze adding weight to the deliberately spoken words. "'Come whenever you like.' You have been brought here by what looks like a strange chance. Don't neglect the way now that you know it. She held Alex's hand in hers for a moment, and then took her back to the little lobby. Mary has actually got a four-wheeled cab. That is very clever of her. I hope they will not have been anxious about you at home. You must tell them that you are with friends. Quite safe. She laid a slight emphasis on the words, smiling a little. "'Good-bye,' said Alex. "'Thank you very much.' "'Good-bye,' repeated the nun. "'And God bless you, my child.'" End of chapter 15